Welcome to Social Creatures, a podcast from Sprout Social. I'm Kat, and I'm here to explore some of my favorite success stories from the world of social media. This is a space for everyone, and really, nearly anything goes. But what makes an account successful or popular? Honestly, it's hard to know, but that's what we're here to find out. Throughout the series, we'll talk with the brains behind the accounts you know and some that you don't to explore the weird and wonderful ways that businesses, organizations, and individuals have achieved success on social media, all with tangible insights that you can apply to your own social strategies. And we'll be heeding the advice of Stacey, our social media agony aunt, who's here to guide you through some of your trickiest digital dilemmas. So this week, I'm joined by Emily Smith, Audiences and Communications Coordinator at the Black Country Living Museums, or BCLM, in the West Midlands in the UK. For those who don't know, the Black Country Living Museum is just a little bit of a TikTok sensation. If you've ever felt fed up with seeing the same types of video trends in your feed, I can guarantee you that the Black Country Living Museum will be a welcome and refreshing relief. Detailing life in Britain throughout history, it still feels incredibly modern. In terms of content, it's totally unique. It's a blend of history and modern culture. It's funny. And on top of it all, it's educational. I cannot wait to talk to Emily today about their secret formula behind their incredible social media. If you'd like to check out what they get up to, you can follow them on TikTok at Black Country Living Museum or on Twitter at BC Living Museum. Emily, welcome to Social Creatures. Hello, it's really nice to be here. (laughs) It's lovely to have you here. And oh my goodness, I've spent most of the day trawling through all of your TikTok videos. But so I have a million questions. But before we get into the amazing social presence of BCLM, we should take a second to recognize how unique it actually is. And maybe for those listeners who don't really know anything about it, could you please explain where you are, what happens there, and why the BCLM is not your average museum? Yeah, of course. So BCLM tells the story of a black country, uh, which is an area consisting of several towns and cities within the West Midlands. And these towns and cities played a massive part in uh, the history of the Industrial Revolution. It's also a really interesting area because although it's really famous, the exact boundaries are massively up for debate. So it's often said that you might struggle to find two people that actually agree on where the black country starts and ends. The museum's based in Dudley, which is absolutely 100% definitely in the black country and tells the story of black country history ranging from the late 19th to the mid 20th century. And it's not your average museum because it's a living museum and it's open air. So we're a 26 acre site and visitors walk around and experience the museum firsthand. So you're not looking at objects behind glass cases. You're walking around and you're seeing houses and shops and industrial areas and you're meeting characters and using like all five senses. You're seeing things, hearing things, touching and smelling and tasting things as well. So (laughs) there's history everywhere at the museum. There's lots of different houses you can walk in. You can like meet the people that would be living in the house. You can go to a vintage pub and buy a pint as you would have been able to do in 1910. We have very famous fish and chip shops, so a lot of people go there. You can go and watch a chain making demonstration and like feel the fire, uh, uh, as it were, of like a chain making demonstration and seeing all that kind of thing actually being made. So it's really cool. So cool. And actually, maybe fair to say that you'd think that a museum that's detailing historical life in a particular part of England 
might not seem like the type of business that would absolutely dominate social media, but I'm wrong. I'm totally wrong because uh, you are completely dominating social media. And I just wonder before we get into just the huge success you find, are there other museums that are doing what you're doing or are you totally unique with what you're doing on TikTok? You'd actually be surprised how many heritage organizations are present on TikTok and on other platforms. We kind of led the way a little bit, but there's so many of them on there now. So we're absolutely amongst friends. English Heritage and Ironbridge Gorge Museums have an excellent TikTok presence. There are lots of other uh, UK organizations on the platform that are absolutely smashing it. And we're also joined across the pond by places like Sacramento History Museum, Old Salem, which is another living history museum that's doing great things on TikTok. Um, Twitter's also a really great place to find examples of great social media from museums. We are particularly fond of York Museum's hashtag creator battle. They encourage other heritage museums to share particularly weird and wonderful objects in their collections. They might be like, okay, museums share your creepiest item and you get museums battling it out to see who's got the creepiest thing in their collection. And we think that's just absolutely fabulous. I love that. I love that so much when people find, you know, a little, your your little corner of social media. I love it when people find their niche. It's yeah. great. It's a, it's a strange part of like the, the internet to find yourself on, but it's a wholesome and wonderful place. Yeah, totally. And to that point, you could think, how is this going to translate onto social media? It is actually a brilliant setting for social media content. You have gained notoriety for your videos on TikTok, which feature actors in historical dress who entertain and educate followers on the story of one of the very first industrialized landscapes in Britain. I mean, that does not do it justice. Maybe in your words, how would you describe the videos that you do? Why are they special? I think they're special because we try to combine history and kind of trending concepts as well. So we'd like trying to balance learning and entertainment. And I think that if you can try and strike that balance, that's how you make social media that's interesting and engaging, especially on things like TikTok, when you haven't got that long to kind of grab people's attention because it's so easy to just scroll away. Totally. And it's funny you talk about that sort of education and entertainment blend, because although it is hard to pick a favorite, one video that I do think is absolutely hilarious is the pretty sure this is why British people love tea so much video, <laughs> which has got Anderson Pack and Bruno Mars in the background. I'm not going to like make you suffer, but it, it's the song, you know, not to be dramatic, but I want to die. <laughs> and it shows a lady dressed in Victorian garb, <laughs> drinking boiled cholera water. No, unboiled cholera water. Unboiled, and she absolutely. dies. But this is just one of so many videos. So I wonder, how do you keep that creative process going and coming up with cool new ideas? I think... It's a lot of the cases that myself and the rest of our marketing team use TikTok ourselves in real life. We're all kind of different ages and have different interests. So we kind of corner different parts of it, but we use it enough to recognize trends. Mm -hmm. But we also are obsessed with where we work and the people that we work with. So it's really easy to kind of scroll through and see videos, see trends, see clips and think, oh, how can I, how can I make that? museum? How can I make that history? We're also super, super lucky here because we've got so many things that kind of lend us to filming. So we've got historic characters on site and they're already beautifully dressed by a costume manager. We've got 
historic settings because we've got all these beautiful buildings that have been replicated or translocated to the museum in this like beautiful little patchwork historic village. And we've got researchers that provide a lot of the historical content. So what our videos represent is what a trip to the museum is. Mm. Um, A lot of it is so much of our core offer and the kind of things that you would learn if you came to the museum anyway, just the TikTok version. And I think that's why it's so easy for us to find ideas because we already know so well what the museum is. And then once you start to use TikTok a lot, you learn what TikTok is. And then if you can kind of try and marry those two together, Mm -hmm. it creates some really nice content. I do think we've said this before in this podcast, but there is a real trend for when people just are being themselves, having a bit of fun, knowing what the unique selling point is. It is so often sort of the little secret formula behind things going well. And actually, let's just talk about how well it has gone for you on TikTok. So you have 1.3 million followers on TikTok, which is Amazing. So congratulations on the incredible followership. Um, Why do you think it's been TikTok that's been so successful? And how did that followership grow? How did you get it to that number? It's a strange one. It really is. And I'm genuinely amazed that we've got it to this far. But the museum is in a really great position, like I've mentioned, because we've got so much readily available, like material, actors, costumes, historic settings. What you see in the videos and the stories you hear and the kind of the characters you meet, and they're all versions of what you would expect to see at the museum. Like, sure, you might not see like the school teacher dancing to Tina Turner on a on a visit. I'm afraid I can't. I can't promise that. But you can actually visit the school and you can learn about Edwardian education and you can meet the and uh, talk about, I don't know, Edwardian cures. And you can hear the stories of people living in poverty. And we really do have characters that are just really lovely and really nice to talk to, like Grandad. That is exactly how he is in real life. Like, I can completely attest to this because I was filming with him yesterday and he will just turn to me and say a poem or turn to me and just sing a Frank Sinatra song at me. And that's just like the kind of people that we work with. So I think it's because we're able to be really authentic on the app. And I think TikTok really, um, really enjoys that. And I think our viewership really enjoys that on TikTok because it's not so much explicit marketing. Mm -hmm. It's trying to get across who we are. And I think that works so much better on TikTok than it does on any other platform. And when you originally went on TikTok, what were your original goals? You mentioned that it's not just flat out marketing. It's about sort of demonstrating who you are. Would that sort of have aligned with originally what the plan was? Yeah, absolutely. So we started the account in 2020 and obviously a lot was going on that year. So firstly, it was really important to us to try and reach kind of visitors at home when the museum was closed. And it was a way that we could connect with people when we had a bit more time on our hands because we weren't trying to market events and we weren't trying to sell all these tickets for various things. So we had time to make these videos and to try and make people happy without having to do any kind of more explicit marketing. We were also really keen to try and find a way to engage with a younger audience. We don't tend to see many, it's like kind of 16 to 24 year olds visiting the museum. And we think they're like a massively important part of the museum's future. And TikTok is such a great way to engage with that age range. So that was definitely part of the reason that we started. But another thing was just, we've got this opportunity. Let's just have some fun with it and see where it goes. And where it went was pretty incredible. Yeah. And so... Was this something that was a slow burn or was this something that, you know, there was one video that was the great change and you started to get a big influx of followers? I'd love to know 
What did the journey to 1.3 million look like? So the second video we posted on the platform was a fashion video based on like K-pop street fashion trends, like the video and you've got K-pop in the background and there's someone like walking dramatically. And we did it so that it was a K-pop soundtrack in the background, but it was historic characters walking down the street. So we've got like a gentleman dressed in 40s outfit with like a, a knitted pullover <laughs> and we've got like an Edwardian lady walking down the street with a bucket and we've got like one of our horse handlers walking through a paddock with like a saddle and things like that. And that video kind of went a bit mental. So our old social media manager, bearing in mind we started the account in the summer, was like, if we get 10,000 followers by Christmas, I'll be happy. She posted that video and then 48 hours later, she woke up and we'd hit 10,000 followers without even thinking. So that video went mental. Oh, wow. And that was kind of what started gaining traction on the platform. And then there were a couple of other videos that kind of really did help us to gain notoriety. So there was a video that we did about women's roles in World War II to an Ariana Grande song. That was our first video to hit 2 million views, which was insane. And then we did a video about how to stay warm in the Victorian period and heating up a brick by the fire. And people really took to that. (laughs) They thought it was so strange that someone would heat up a brick and just pop it in bed. And then we also had lots of videos that did really well because they were like Victorian recipe videos. So like pack a lunch with me for my kids, except it was like a beef dripping sandwich. And (laughs) people really connected that maybe in a wrong way because they were like, this sounds awful. Why would you do that? But kind of Those jokes landed really well. And I think those are the kind of things that have led us to have uh, kind of notoriety on the platform. Wow. I feel like I can't get over a beef dripping sandwich, actually. My brain is... Oh, I'm not going to lie. I've had one. They're really good. Really? (laughs) Yeah, I think it might be a bit of a black country thing. (laughs) But like bread and beef dripping is is actually pretty fantastic. Uh, That's... It's not it's not so bad. It might just be a bit of a black country specialism, but yeah. Back to social media and away from beef dripping <laughs> sandwiches for a second. <laughs> you mentioned that going onto TikTok was going to be a good way to reach the 16 to 24 age group. And certainly that definitely aligns with what we hear about TikTok. It's more skewed towards a younger audience. I wonder, did that actually translate then? into the visitors who were actually coming to the museum? Did you see uh, a change? And did you start to see more of this age group coming? We've kind of so far been unable or it's difficult to gather a lot of quantitative evidence to support the fact that like more people in that age group have visited because of the platform. But there's absolutely a load of anecdotal evidence to support that people have been visiting due to the TikTok. And I speak in my own experience from that. Like I have been dressed as a character, stopped in the street because people want to take a photo with 40s lady. I have had people message me being like, oh, a family of four came today and they wanted to take a photo with me and I was really starstruck and I didn't know what to do. I've also had people message me or chat to me outside of work, not knowing that I work at the museum, not knowing that I've had anything to do with the account. And the museum will just come up in conversation and they'll be like, oh, they've got a really good TikTok account. And I'm like, oh, have they? That's nice. Oh, <laughs> oh really? Tell me more oh, really? about how I much had you... No idea. Tell me more about how much you love <laughs> the account. Um, but hold on, hold on, hold on. You are one of the characters, did you say? Tell yeah, us more I about am. that. I am the 40s lady. And who is the 40s lady? Tell us a little bit about her. The 40s lady is the character that appears in a lot of the videos about women's rights. She is the most fabulous character. I love her because she means I get to victory roll my hair and put on red lipstick and get out the office for a little bit. And I get to wear fabulous clothes and tell stories of women's rights. And it's just great. And now I get to be behind the camera as well. Now here at Sprite Social... We know that social media is a wild and wonderful beast. 
It can surprise and delight, but it can also confuse and perplex even the hardiest of social media users. Who better to turn to for help than our social media expert, Stacey Wright, who's here to answer your questions over a cup of tea and some biscuits in the part of the show we like to call Sound Advice. Right, I've got my cup of tea and I've got my letters, which can only mean it's time for us to take a break and cozy down together. This is the part of the podcast where I, your social media agony aunt, Stacey, guide you, our dear listeners, through your trickiest digital dilemmas. Right, let me see what social media conundrums you've sent my way today. Dear Stacey, I'm in a new role for a small company where I get the great but daunting task of setting up the social channels from scratch for a new trendy bakery. Getting to define the social strategy myself was honestly the main thing that attracted me to the role. But I also have a brand new boss. She's great, she's inspirational and wants big results. And she's also on social media a lot, meaning a lot of opinions, but not necessarily expert ones. She has made it clear that she wants me to have accounts on all platforms from the off. I don't agree that instantly trying to create, build and manage presences on all platforms is something we can or should do. That said, I want to impress my new boss. What should I do? Yours, Jeannie. So Jeannie, firstly, I am going to agree with your boss slightly. In the first instance, you should definitely go onto all of the social platforms and claim those profile names, regardless of whether you end up developing a strategy for them. Then secondly, do the research and find out where your target audience is consuming their content and interacting. So you could take cues from any existing branding or market research you might have for the company. Or if not, you could do something free like YouGov, which is an online database where you can seek out information on brands that are similar to yourself, see who their audiences are, and then from there, see what social media networks those audiences prefer. So using that information, you can then focus your attention. When I led social strategy at an agency, my CEO used to get a little bit ticked off with me for telling clients where their focus should be, but also where they might be wasting their time. So for example, if your bakery is a trendy donut shop, you might want to be on a fast, cool content network like TikTok or Instagram. But if you're an artisan sourdough bread bakery, then you might want to be on Facebook for local community groups or show your process of making the bread on something like YouTube where you can have longer form content. Being selective allows you to master those platforms and then also see really impressive fast growth, which your boss is going to love, but also stops you being a jack of all trades. It can make space for you to pivot when user behavior changes. So when we think about uh, platforms like Instagram, where they've moved into a space of reels and stories um, and how people digest content on there, which has changed a lot, that will give you that room to change the content strategy as those platforms evolve too. Once you know the platforms, align your resources. Do you have enough budget or skills in-house to create great video? If it's a no, YouTube and even Facebook and Instagram might be out for now. Your strategy might have to be solely focused on short, 
digestible content like shorts on YouTube, reels on Instagram, or even stories on the Facebook. Once you've chosen your networks and the content strategy, then tailor where you promote those channels within the touch points you have as a business with your new customers. So depending on the type of the platform and the content you're after, maybe Instagram is gonna be like your online storefront. So you want to encourage user-generated content that might be on the wall in the bakery, at the point of sale, in the shop window. Whereas if Twitter or WhatsApp is gonna be a customer service tool, you might put that on receipts or order confirmations for online or places where they might be reviewing you as a business. And from there, this will start to build out real followers that reflect your objective for those channels. Whilst it might be easy to get everyone that works in the bakery and all of your friends and family to follow and like a new social profile, it's really not gonna help you in the algorithms. Instagram will then serve that as a discoverable profile to people who are like those people and not necessarily like your target audience. One quick way to do this is to have a launch. So either at the bakery itself, you could do it online and that will help push people towards your brand new channels who are already interested in the business or might be invited because they reflect the audience you're trying to target. Jeannie, thanks so much for emailing your social media conundrum. Hopefully this will help you with a fully proved and not half-baked social strategy. Until next time, listeners, stay strong and stay social. And now back to the interview. Do you keep track of where your fans are, where your followers are coming from? Are they in this 16 to 24-year-old bracket? Are they history lovers? Are they other museums? Or is it broader than that? So the creator tools analytics means we can keep track of who it is that follows us and who it is that watches our videos. Generally, they are people aged 16 to 24. Our skew is a little bit more feminine. So we have more women than men watching our videos. We also find that we have a lot of views from America and a lot of viewers from the UK and then a couple more rogue international places that you would never think would be interested in a little museum that talks about black country history. Um, but the audience demographic TikTok is pretty extensive and the same goes for our international audiences. Some people follow us because they like history and because they like museums and others follow us because they like the themes portrayed by certain characters. Maybe they like to watch the chemist videos because they like learning about medicine. Maybe they like to watch the 40s lady videos because they're particularly interested in feminism and women's rights. Maybe they like to watch granddad's videos because they like a bit of life advice. They like a bit of poetry. And I think some people just follow us because they find the content engaging and it's enjoyable to see a different take on a trend that you might have seen 50 times beforehand. But we do tend to use the platform mostly just for brand awareness and a little bit of education. So it's really easy to engage with the content if you live somewhere else. Like it doesn't necessarily matter too much that a lot of our viewership lives overseas because if we're not using it for marketing, it doesn't matter if people aren't necessarily coming through the door, but they are still learning and they are still learning about the black country and getting our name out there. And that's what counts really, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is, to your credit, the sign of really good content if it's engaging with people who live overseas and maybe would love to, but, you know, they don't have any means to come and visit the museum, but they still follow you. That just speaks to the quality of the content. I do wonder, you're not just on TikTok, but I think you're known for your TikTok account, but you are also on Instagram, on Twitter and Facebook. How does the content that you post differ across these channels? And 
What's your strategy behind what you're posting where? So our audience profile varies for each platform. So we try to kind of vary our content accordingly while retaining some kind of like overarching BCLM voice throughout. So we've got a little bit of consistency across. We tend to use Facebook for our most kind of explicit digital marketing. It's where most people ask most questions about the museum. It's where they want to know where our opening times are. It's where they want to know where they can get, I don't know, food while they're here, how the parking situation works, things like that. We use Instagram more for kind of celebrating the aesthetic nature of the museum. We're a 26-acre site. We're a beautiful place. We're full of wonderfully dressed historic characters. The buildings are beautiful. We've got two particularly handsome horses. So we use Instagram to kind of celebrate that. We also have a Twitter account that we use for a a number of things. It's a great platform to engage with other organizations because you can retweet people. But it's also a great place to celebrate Black country history. So people love it when we tweet things in like a regional dialect. So, for example, the other day it was raining. I posted a picture of a said rain in one of our cobbled streets with the caption, it's Black Over Bill's Mothers, which is a black country phrase, basically meaning, gosh, the weather's awful. Um, <laughs> so, And that tweet did really, really well because it's such a niche regional saying that so many people identify with. And if they've moved out of the area, might not have heard in 30 years. So... People really love it when we post in black country dialect, although that does tend to extend to Facebook as well, actually. Overall, we do have like a little bit of a set of guidelines as to what the aims of our content should be across different platforms. And as long as it fits with that, then you're kind of you good to go, no matter what you're posting. Wow. You guys are doing a lot on social. Fair play to you. I kind of wonder, you know, so the clips that you're posting are really high production, high quality, amazing outfits. You've got the actors and actresses who are actually dressed up as these characters. And it sort of from the outside looks like it would be quite costly. But I'm actually wondering, are there a lot of production costs that go into these things and like scripting and filming? Or is it something that you're actually just in that really fortunate position because it is all there that you can kind of do it? We are massively lucky because so much of this kind of stuff can be done in-house just because it's so conducive to the museum's offer. So the videos are filmed in and among our museum buildings. We've got sets right there. Our historic characters are dressed beautifully in kind of very period-appropriate clothes that are made by a wonderful costume manager. We script videos based on research that's provided by our interpretation team that they would already be providing for uh, kind of general museum purposes. We use equipment that we use already as a marketing team. So we have some fantastic camera equipment that we are very lucky to have. We'll be given some information from our research department and then myself or another member of the audiences and communications team will then sit down and turn that into a script that is then kind of digestible by our viewership. So really the main cost associated with our videos is time (laughs) and also staff capacity. We do have a small allocated TikTok budget that we use for like additional props, costumes and equipment and things like that. But generally, we just kind of make do with what we have lying around. So the biggest cost is time because we are quite a small marketing department, especially when you consider that like one good video can take, I don't know, 12 hours from organizing the filming, actually doing the filming, editing the filming, writing the script. A good TikTok video can take a really quite a long time to produce. So it's not so much a physical thing. And do you think that since you've seen the success and the followership get to where it's at? Has there been increased pressure to, you know, continue to create videos to this standard? Because it does sound like you're still just having a lot of fun with it, which is great. But yeah, I just kind of wonder, like 1.3 million is a lot. 
Absolutely. Since we started growing our viewership massively, that's the only thing that increased really was just the pressure to keep putting out so much of this high quality content. This was absolutely doable at first, especially when we were kind of in and out of lockdowns and we could still film, but the museum wasn't open to the public and it was quite easy to do that kind of thing then. But we had to take a little bit of a break over the summer and over the winter. We relaunched the account on the 14th of February and that was because we had to run a museum as well. We're starting to do these more full-scale events again. We're starting to get capacity on site and we've got so many other things to do that it really is a case of having to try and balance, oh my gosh, we've got this really famous TikTok account and oh my gosh, we're also a museum marketing department and we have to do all the other things that museum marketing departments do. Being a presence on TikTok is absolutely worth it. It's so much fun. It's done great things for the internal morale at the museum because it's so exciting to see the Black Country story be told worldwide and people to be really engaging with it no matter where they are. But it does take a lot of time and effort and definitely more than you would initially expect, especially when it comes to actually putting the videos out there. And also to properly engage with your audience. It's not just a case of pressing post and walking away. You have to keep checking the comments and engaging in those conversations and vetting things and keeping your eye on what's going on. And so much of our account is kind of the admin character that replies to the comments. So it's not just a case of pressing posts and walking away from it as you might think it would be on Facebook and Instagram. It's really like a conversation that continues after you've pressed publish. Oh, 100%. And I'm sure loads of the listeners who are hearing you speak will feel like it's never just one thing. Also your point when you press send and just leave it. Like that's definitely not how social media works. You have to engage with and respond to and that takes time as well. So yeah, my goodness. There's no doubt about it that TikTok is still a platform that a lot of businesses do struggle to get to grips with. How do you demonstrate the value of this social media marketing? Well, what I would say is social media marketing on TikTok has been absolutely invaluable to us in terms of reaching new audiences and increasing brand awareness. It's so nice to be able to be engaging with 16 to 24 year olds and for people in other countries or further afield in this country to recognize who we are and what we do. I think it's important to recognize that it's not necessarily the right platform to use for any sort of like explicit advertising or marketing because people are quite sensitive on TikTok to what I would call like inauthentic marketing. So people won't see an ad on TikTok and click on it necessarily. I think it's really important that you use the platform to be yourself and get across your kind of organization's message more than it is to be like, buy this thing. But it's a great way to give your organization kind of an authentic voice that enables you to engage with younger audiences. Internally, people have been really supportive here as well. So it's a great way to kind of generate some morale internally within your organization. But I think it's just important to recognize that it is really hard work. <laughs> like it's great. It's absolutely worth it. That's so lovely to hear that you're being supported with the absolutely amazing, unique, hilarious and educational content that you're doing. So I absolutely love it. The final question is a question that we'll be asking for all of our guests on this podcast. If BCLM had to delete all of the accounts that it follows on Twitter, leaving only one, which would it be? Oh, this is such a horrible question. <laughs> um, I don't know if we could pick one. There are some really lovely regional museums doing great things on Twitter. We love the content from MREL and the Yorkshire Museums. And we're always really inspired by English heritage and places like that. There are also some other brands that we think are fabulous because they're putting out some really kind of playful content, which is really aspirational to us, including places like Aldi and Ryanair. 
I think my favourite account that I see when I am checking the museum Twitter is probably Innocent Smoothies. Their April Fool's Day tweet absolutely killed me. Their manager changed their profile picture to a picture of his wedding and now they've absolutely rinsed him on social media. (laughs) I love it. I could never get away with it here. I wouldn't want to get away with it here. But I love their social media. I love their Twitter. I love their Facebook. Um, And I think if it was up to me, that would probably be the one that I would save. I love that. I also love Innocent Social. I think they are absolutely brilliant. But so are you. BCLM (laughs) is really fantastic. And it has been so great to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much for taking the time, Emily, to talk to us today. It's been so great to have you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been fabulous. Um, And so thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Social Creatures with me, Kat Anderson. Many thanks to Emily Smith of the Black Country Living Museum for joining me today and to Sprout Social for making this podcast possible. Make sure you catch the rest of the series by subscribing on your favourite podcast platform where you can tune into a new episode every two weeks. You can continue the conversation around today's episode by getting in touch on our social media at Sprout Social or by sending your social media quandaries to our Agony Aunt Stacey by emailing soundadvice at sproutsocial.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in two weeks.